that's uh, where I first began to develop some trust. And although I grew up in a conventionally religious context, at some point in my life, I realized I, I didn't trust God at all. Hey guys, welcome back into another episode of How's That Working For You, uh, where we look at life through the lens of the Enneagram and often through 12-step recovery. And we're always looking for some help, some hope, and some humor. And today we have very special guest all the way from North Carolina, Mr. Don Carroll. Hey, Don. Hey, good morning, Art. Uh, Don, thanks for uh, making plans to join us this morning. Don's on Zoom. Uh, You don't get to see him or me. But uh, hopefully you'll be able to listen to our conversation this morning. Uh, Don and I met actually three years ago, but it's been long distance ever since because of COVID. And uh, mostly by phone that we've connected, although a lot of writing, email, and text. And Don kind of became a long distance spiritual director for me a few years ago when I began doing some uh, 12-step groups that merged the wisdom system of the Enneagram. You, do you remember, Don, by any chance, uh, how we got connected? Well, I remember you just giving me a call, I think, or, or an email, but I was just immediately uh, engaged because uh, I love the people who see this connection between the Enneagram and recovery, 12-step recovery, and how they both complement each other and, and deepen some of the nuances uh, and so, you know, it was immediately easy for me to get into a great conversation with you. Oh, that's Yeah. I remember reaching out by email and then hoping that if I said, can we talk by phone that you would be okay with that? And you were in that same day, we started the conversations and I got to tell folks, they have really enriched my life. It's been huge blessing, uh, to be not only taught by you, but directed by you and coached by you and just become a friend and uh, it's been a big part of my growth so thank you thank you art it's as you know it's always a process of mutual learning when you're engaged in this space of of interaction where you know it's not helping as much as it's just moving each other along and way of understanding from a greater perspective. So I, I've thoroughly enjoyed our times together. Yeah, I, I think that uh, dynamic came into play for me many years ago in recovery, in 12-step recovery, um, when I actually started working the steps and not just going to meetings. And then somebody said, hey, you probably ought to get a sponsor. <laughs> and I did finally. And then I began to see exactly what you're talking about being played out. And over time, I began to see the mutual give and take. And then eventually when I started sponsoring and then eventually years later, when I started helping train sponsors, um, it just, it's just flowered over the years to begin to see the give and take that was on the way. Yes, there is one who is a guide that's a little further down the road in the steps for sure. But as you said, if we're both open, that there's this mutual give and take in which we both begin to learn and grow. Yes. So important. It was so important for me in my life because that's uh, where I first began to develop some trust. And although I grew up in a conventionally uh, 
religious context. Um, at some point in my life, I realized I, I didn't trust God at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was through both the fellowship of the 12 step programs and really the, the, this interaction with another human being as a sponsor of it uh, began to get, to shift this thing, even though I didn't know it was happening at the time. Yeah, the shift. We we look back and see that God's done something for us we never could have done for ourselves, and there was yeah, a there was absolutely. a shift. Yeah. All right. Well, so you mentioned a couple of things. I'm going to tie those back together in just a moment, uh, because really, what you kind of just revealed to some folks that are keenly listening, they might have got a little clue as to your type or your ego type, uh, as possibly being in the head and then possibly being in the center of the head at, at type six. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Uh, I've always identified as a counterphobic six and, uh, very interesting for those people who delve into their own family dynamics. Uh, my alcoholic father was also a six mm. and, and my son, I believe, is a six. Okay. So uh, it's interesting to see how these patterns get repeated, although, you know, there's always the nurture and nature uh, discussion that goes around that. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we'll touch some more on the counterphobic six. And as a matter of fact, as we're talking, I can see uh, Ronnie has me develop a short teaching off of these podcasts of five minutes or so. We pick a particular dynamic of Enneagram and wisdom work or 12 step work. And I can even see, we might do a teaching on the counterphobic six, uh, coming out of this. But, um, so I want to go back, I'll set the stage for people. And, and then I want you to kind of tell us your story. Um, it was, uh, in 2019 that, uh, I began wanting to go deeper with the synergy of the 12 steps and the Enneagram. I had been working, uh, the 12 steps for 20 years, I had uh, been introduced to the Enneagram uh, a few years later. And like, a, uh, let's say I was going to say a bad seven or less resourceful seven, let's say it that way. I got the mental concept and then kept going and didn't dig in and do the work much like the first couple of years in the 12 steps, right? Got the mental concept, but the heart and the body didn't quite follow yet. Same thing with Enneagram. And then I was, it circled back and found me again a few years later, and I began digging in and doing the work. And it didn't take long uh, sitting in intensives and trainings and reading books and going deeper. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Michael Naylor, was in one of his from the Enneagram Institute, and I kept looking at the dominant instincts, and I kept looking at all the different ways that the trios kept showing up, and I was like, wait a minute, I've heard this before. This is, this is in the 12th. In fact, it's in the, the 12 and 12. In fact, it's in the chapter on the fourth step when it says, we believe God gave man three instincts. And then it names the social, the sexual, and the self-preservation instinct, which we were studying within the Enneagram. That was one of the biggest clues to me of the touch points of the two wisdom systems. And then I began to explore and see more. And I thought at that time, okay, if I've seen this, I'm not the first one. I'd love to claim it, but I'm not the first one. Somebody else has to have seen this, and I want to find them. And so I began this search, went down a lot of rabbit holes as a seven, and found a couple of folks, and then honed in, and you were the first person 
that was willing to be gracious enough to say, let me share the time with you. And then that's how our relationship formed, as we said a little bit earlier. And you, because you are a writer of many genres, you had already written what I would call a workbook uh, that merged the 9 and the 12. In fact, it's called the 9 and the 12, right? Right, right. And so I'm like, okay, uh, as much as I like my freedom, I also like structure. And when I saw that, I'm like, this is this is the guy I want to attack. And then when I met you by phone, what I began to understand is this: he's not written a book. This man has lived this and is still living it and is still helping people. Even in your 70s, you were still helping people with this. And so that's where we got connected. And yes. Yes. You began to teach me, uh, really served as a spiritual director coach for me. I began to use the material in uh, recovery groups with two separate folks. And every week I'd have to call and say, now, Don, I, I think I understand this, but I'm not sure what you mean by this. Can you take me deeper? And you would patiently try to walk me through that, trying to keep me from getting stuck in my head right, as sevens are wont to do, and then figure out how to bring all three domains into play. Well, the great thing you were doing, Art, was you were bringing these experiences directly from the group that you were working with, with the steps and the Enneagram. And so it's, you know, it's really in the context of real life stuff going on that these people in the group were experiencing that you can begin to actually experience yourself a deeper understanding of how the concepts actually work. So you're right. For both of us as mental types, the concepts are fine to be bouncing around in our heads, but until we actually experience what they're about, uh, you know, we really haven't gotten the truth uh, embodied in our own lives. So that was, that was a great time working with you in that way. Yeah, I really, and, and again, the, the reminders from you each week when I would bring a particular nuance or struggle uh, about the group or relating, you know, all the while keeping everybody's confidence, but really more focused on my own growth, my not just because one of my tendencies is when I get a concept, I want to go teach it, right? A lot of severance are that way. Get the mental concept, and we love sharing good news. We're very apostolic and even go teach it, right? And sometimes we run off without, you know, we, we got maybe a one part of it instead of the, the, the whole. And so you kept drawing me back to that. And that's been, a, I think, a big shift for me. Um, so that's how we got connected and how we stayed connected. But I'm wondering, uh, we've got some time this morning. I would love to go back and let you tell your story about what kind of got us up to the place where we did connect, because I kind of got in in the middle end of your story. So tell me more. Tell the audience really as much as you'd like to tell us about this. Sure, Art. Well, I, you know, I grew up in the back in the fifties, um, and had what I thought at the time was a very conventional, normal family. But you know, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, my mother had grown up with a lot of trauma in her life. Um, and, you know, looking back on it later, I realized that I was a really uh, a very lonely kid. Uh, I was close to my dad. Uh, he and I would do a lot of hunting and fishing together uh, back in those days. And uh, 
but because of his alcoholism and he was a maintenance drinker, he drank every night and until he was kind of out of it. And, um, and my mom was kind of, a, uh, I think looking back, I would say she was a four and, and she was just caught up in her interior world, uh, and probably just distraught about not really knowing how to deal with my father's alcoholism. And, and, and so it was pretty lonely and I didn't get, uh, a lot of emotional nurture, I guess. Um, and so the way I adapted to deal with that was to try to achieve. I thought if I really did well and, uh, was successful, that would be the way I would earn love. And so, uh, you know, like a lot of the ways in which our ego coping strategies work, uh, that worked for me for a while until it didn't. Yeah. It always works until it doesn't. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I became a lawyer and, uh, had a family married a, a woman who, uh, was also grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, you know, they use the word adult child, which is kind of very appropriate in the sense that you are an adult, but your ways of trying to interact are very childish. And, um, so, you know, we didn't know how to have a relationship because we never had any, uh, body that we could learn from about how to have a, a normal, healthy relationship. And so as much as we wanted the marriage to succeed and tried to work on it, you know, it was just like this train going over a cliff. Uh, it seemed to be nothing we could do about it. And, uh, we had a, had a bunch of therapy, couples therapy. I, I can't recall that thinking that it did any good whatsoever. We both thought we were smarter than a therapist. And, uh, when you have that preconception going into something like that, it's obviously you're not never going to get into your feelings and, and what's really going on. And we both had the, you know, those three imperatives of the adult child, uh, don't trust, don't feel, don't talk. Yep. And, uh, so that, that marriage, uh, did provide us with two wonderful children. And the only thing that we, we had that we could cope with there was we wanted our children's lives to be better than our own. So I'm grateful to God that we, our, our kids turned out reasonably undamaged. Uh, so fast forward uh, a few years the the career practicing law is successful, but the marriage is going over the cliff and, uh, it went over the cliff. Um, I was very depressed at some point there. I, I had not been able to find any ways to help understand what I was going through in the psychological world of therapy. Um, and I don't know how I got got to this 12 step meeting, but I did. And, um, I sat in the back of the room for about six months and went to one meeting a week. And then, uh, I had occasion to go down to Atlanta where my mother lived at the time for a weekend with other family members. And 
I was coming back up 85, driving up 85 on Sunday afternoon. And I realized that the weekend had not gone that bad. And, you know, I had that moment of clarity where I realized that the only thing that had been different in anybody's lives was I'd been going to one meeting a week and sitting in the back of the room listening. Mm -hmm. So uh, that light bulb went on and I started going to a meeting every day, began to get a sponsor and started working the steps. So things began to change a lot uh, more quickly at that point in my life. Things got a lot, lot better. And uh, so then fast forward, I guess about, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so and to this point where um, I think Ernie Larson would probably say you're ready for second stage recovery or mm -hmm. whatever. And uh, you know, things, things outwardly were very good. Uh, but I, I felt hollow inside and spiritually, uh, you know, in a bit of a desert. So I went to this guy, uh, a spiritual director that somebody suggested I go to. Um, and, uh, you know, I walked in, I wasn't with him for five minutes and he knew I was a six and he was a six. And so this just began to uncover this wonderful exploration of all the things that were going on beneath the pattern that I had discerned in my fourth and fifth step. In other words, my character defects, uh, when I had done the steps for the first time, didn't really get below the outwards things of my uh, anger, impatience, mm -hmm. perfectionism, manipulation, uh, all those kind of things. It didn't get down to understanding what the fear was underneath and where that came from. And uh, as a counterphobic six, six, I never felt fear or anxiety until I began to do spiritual direction with this guy. Yeah. Bummer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, and I was a trial lawyer, so uh, it was... It was part of the way uh, I I learned to be was to go into the anxiety, into the tension, and into the pressure. Uh, so I didn't have to feel any of it. Yeah. So that yeah. that that uh, whole dynamic that counterphobic sixes do, which is unconsciously attack the anxiety or the fear, would that be an accurate way to describe it? Yeah, I like to think of it as kind of like evil can evil, you know jumping over those cars, you don't think you don't, you're not even aware that there's any anxiety. You're just drawn to the intensity as a way to avoid the anxiety. Yeah. And so, uh, that certainly worked for me. And so, uh, with my spiritual director, this just opened up a whole new, uh, understanding of my life in a, and an understanding of, of how to grow and, and the psychological dynamics and how they interplayed with, with the spiritual part of my life. Um, so not too long after that, uh, 
So, so clearly your spiritual director had a, some level of working knowledge of the Enneagram of personality or, or some Enneagram work. Is that? Oh yeah. He was, he was very deeply, uh, involved with the Enneagram and his Enneagram teacher was one of those, uh, original guys, uh, who wrote several of the early books. He and this woman wrote them together. I can't think of his name right now. Was it, uh, was it Patrick O'Leary? No, it wasn't O'Leary. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know he wrote, O'Leary wrote one of the very first with Marisa B, Maria Beesing and, uh-huh. some, and some others out of the Jesuits that kind of got taught by Bob Oaks that had right. been in the original uh, Seekers After Truth, I think, way back in the late 60s or 70s with Claudio Nerano out at Stanford. This was right at, he was, he was just a few years after that. Okay. Um, so, so yes, we, we had, uh, a wonderful exploration together and very enlightening to me and very meaningful. And sometimes around in there after that was beginning to happen, it, it opened up that the bar was looking for a person to direct the North Carolina lawyer assistance program. And this is a program that most states have where, you know, the, the bar licenses lawyers in order to help protect the public and to set an ethical standard. And um, there had been an informal program in North Carolina uh, to help lawyers and judges by recovering people. But I was asked to begin to put some real wheels on this. And it's the only thing the bar uh, does then or now proactively to help people who suffer from addiction or mental illness or other things that are going to undermine their ability to serve their clients. And uh, you guys in Alabama have had a wonderful program when I was director there. Jean Marie Leslie was the director. And uh, I know that so much good was done by her in leading that that program back then. Uh, this is so, this is actually a good place for to segue for just a moment. I was kind of step aside and let people know that uh, at your website they can actually look at some of these resources, which would be right doncarroll dot com, right d o n c a r r o l l. And I'm not going to stop to go into all of them now. We'll put the reference up later on, but that um, treatment that you wrote, uh, the lawyer's guide to Addiction, healing. yeah, healing addiction and depression was is a resource that people can actually see there, that became a big part of the program in North Carolina. But yes. uh, in addition, on your site there is a wonderful uh, spiritual blog that is so unique. Uh, it's part of what captured me, and I I look every every week I look to see if you've put a new one up, and I think you're fixing to put a new one up, but. Um, it's got this little this device where you have imagine a person coming to someone for spiritual direction, um, and it may be a famous person from the past or the present that's coming, or a seeker may be coming to that person for spiritual direction, and you write through that and, and then teach through that, and they're just fantastic. I love those. And in addition, you have a list of all the, the other genres that you have written in that include fiction, 
that explores, in, in a sense, enneotypes and, and the three centers and that type of thing. But then you've also done poetry, and you've also got some beautiful truth, beauty, and goodness reflection guides for people. So anyway, I just wanted to stop and, and let people know there's some really great resources there, and we'll remind them again at the end of the show. But I'm sorry for interrupting. Let, let me go back to your story again where you had been working with the state of North Carolina legal profession. Well, let me just tie that uh, those resources into that experience. One of the things that, that came out of my experience as spiritual director with somebody who was so Enneagram conversant was – that I decided to go to spiritual direction school. <laughs> you know, we, we, we want to learn more and understand more of things that really help us. And I also decided that I wanted to become an Enneagram teacher. And so uh, I did go to the Enneagram and the narrative tradition uh, school, which uh, Helen Palmer at that time and David Daniels were leading. Uh, so, I was doing those things. And at the same time I was directing the lawyer's assistance program. And I, and so after being there for, you know, a half dozen years or 10 years or so, I realized that nobody uh, really began to get better. Nobody had real healing without some kind of spiritual experience with some kind of spiritual awakening. It didn't matter how good their psychiatrist was or what kind of counseling they were doing. Uh, and so everybody that I would see, uh, I would, with their permission, uh, you know, type, do an Enneagram typing session with them. And uh, if they were interested in the Enneagram, they, that's something they might follow up on. But I was just there to help understand what their difficulty was enough to help put in place the resources that were going to be of assistance to them, whether it was a 12 step program or, or some other kind of a assistance. But I found that by uh, letting them know their Enneagram type and just teaching them a little bit about that, uh, they began to have some something under their feet to help them in their journey with whatever they were wrestling with. Uh, you know, it's kind of the comfort of knowing that, Hey, the way I've been acting all the time, uh, that's just a way one ninth of the population tends to cope mm -hmm. with reality. Yeah. There's a little, there's a little comfort in that of, of seeing that you're just part of this overall pattern of how human beings cope. It, and, it reminds me of the, teaching in the big book and in 12-step rooms of that concept of terminal uniqueness, <laughs> that, which yeah. can go in either direction, right? I, I'm in this group, but I don't belong here. It's you people that are crazy and sick, right? And or, or I'm so unique, there's no cure for me. It's terminal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, uh, and eventually I decided that, hey, uh, you know, it's time for me to re move on from the directing this program. And I want to devote myself full time to spiritual direction. And so that's what I, I did. And at that time, particularly also teaching, teaching the Enneagram. And at that time I began to do, you know, some 12 step and Enneagram retreats where we worked with both of those uh, 
ideas and, and approaches the same way that you have been doing art in, in Alabama. And uh, so that unfolded. This gave me more time to write and more time to, to see people individually, which seemed to be uh, part of what my gift was. And uh, so that unfolded from, from there. And uh, only in this past year recently, I have, I have retired from actually seeing people for spiritual direction. Uh, and, in, you know, part of that is just my the commitment to my own spiritual growth of just allowing my life to be more unstructured so that I can try to in, encounter just whatever unfolds day to day from a more grounded and open hearted experience. And uh, so that's kind of a little bit of an overview to get us up to date. No, that's beautiful. I appreciate you doing that. And uh, I'm so glad you've reached this place where you feel the freedom uh, to give yourself that time and to give your family that time um, where you don't have to be necessarily filling a particular role right now and then trusting, (laughs) which is a big thing for a six, right? Trusting and courage that, okay, the divine is going to reveal whatever needs to be revealed in this season of life. Uh, so that's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. Although I'm upset that I won't have as much of you as I used to. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my awareness is that whatever needs to happen, I, I really am at this place of being able to trust that that will, that will happen. And we need to do more together or it will happen. So right. good. Uh, Uh, All right. So, uh, gosh, there's so many directions we could go in, um, and I'm sure some more will come to us as we go. One of the things that um, intrigued me about your, I don't even know what you would call them, reflection books, or they're they're not typical devotional books, but you wrote them in a format that addressed what some people would call the platonic forms or the, or the transcendent forms and about truth, beauty, and goodness. And so, uh, I, I can honestly say I, I went, you know, 50 plus years before the the thought of putting the three together in, in any form even occurred to me. But then when I began to work through uh, one of your books, I think I started with uh, uh, Truth, maybe, and then began to do some of the daily readings and the inquiry questions that you had in there. And it slowly began to kind of see, I'm like, wait a minute, there's there's a relationship (laughs) between truth, beauty, and goodness that's foundational. And that's why you were writing that way. So... I wonder, and, and because now I think um, I pay attention to, I'm more attuned to uh, things that appear in, in threes, in the number threes now, I'm really attuned to that. I see them in nature more. I hear them. I see them in literature. And in, and so I'm kind of looking for them because the one in three and the three in one seems to be pretty foundational, both from uh, a modern physics standpoint they know there's the atom is not two it's three and so forth and so on and i during the pandemic i had a lot of time in my driveway with my dogs and 
uh, you know, that first few months of the shutdown. And I noticed for the first time in my life that pine straw actually comes in bunches of threes. And I did not know that. And, um, most people are not real excited about that. Like I am, but it was, my wife is like, okay, honey, that's great. But did you change out the air filter? You know? So I see threes everywhere now. I'm more attuned to them. And so, and especially with Enneagram, which is just an unending group of threes, right? Uh, so could you uh, tell us a little bit about truth, beauty, and goodness from the aspect of why you kind of write that way or what's important to you about that? Well, what I became aware of, you know, was that the, the three centers, the head, heart, and the body correspond with those three platonic forms. Yep. You know, the truth for the head, uh, beauty for the heart, and goodness for the body center. And that uh, in the reflection books, I wanted to offer ones that were geared most especially for people whose dominant center was in one of those three. And, uh, so that's how it unfolded that there were three different versions, uh, in these reflection books. And of course, the ultimate goal is to be able to integrate all three of your centers as we see in the Enneagram of Harmony. But, uh, it, it seems that it is most helpful to individuals as they, this journey un, unfolds you know, to work with the dominant center to start with. And there had been people who have used these books to, who started with their most repressed center mm -hmm. and also found that helpful. So there's not necessarily one way in that is, is going to lead to this more integrated experience, but they correspond, I think those ideals, uh, in, with each of the three centers. And you might say that the, uh, the false self aspect of each of those three centers is exemplified perhaps in the, in one of the most beautiful ways in Jesus's three temptations in the wilderness. And, uh, so where you've got the turning the, the stone to bread temptation, this is about, security this is this is a mental type mm -hmm. you, you've got being tempted to jump off the peak or whatever and and get affirmed by everybody we're talking about the heart center yeah, yeah. prove 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 to me that you love me right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. and then the body body center is this power and control one of yeah. all the kingdoms yep yeah. uh so uh you know, we have these understandings that are really helpful, both in terms of 12 steps and, and the Enneagram, how that, that all gives us a greater insight and, and places to start in our own lives. Yeah, beautiful. Have you ever, I, we talked about this once, I think, but the idea of throughout my life in the church, in the Christian church, you know, certainly people have, have taught and preached on those passages in the Synoptic Gospels that talk about the three temptations. I don't ever remember anybody until the last few years when I was reading Henry Noun 
and I think you and I talked about this at once, but uh, very few people seem to have connected the three blessings that Jesus receives uh, at his baptism and then to the two, because I think possibly, you know, in the synoptics, they're kind of separated a little bit. There's just a little bit of separation. And if we don't read through the story well and bring it back into context, it almost seems like they're not connected. But I know Nowen is famous for making the connection of the temptations don't come until he's already been blessed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is, this is my child. I love it and my favor rests on him. Yes. Yeah. So one thing you're pointing out there, that within this world of threes, there is an important duality. And, and that is our false self-perceptions of the world and our perceptions of the world from our essence or, yeah. you know, the mind of Christ. And, and so it's really important, I think, on the spiritual journey to, to understand that a human being is the totality of both of those. That uh, for the most part, we're not going to get rid of the false self. Uh, hopefully in the second part of life, we live more into our essence or true self, as it's often called. But it's, it's really important, I think, for people not to become, uh, and, but this is after you've developed some real awareness and appreciation and understanding of your false self, but mm. not to let that become a, a critical aspect of who you are, of your own critique of your false self. Uh, there's a way in which that kind of super ego critique reinforces the yep. ego itself yep. and, and can keep, keep us stuck. Yeah. That, so, that whole idea in, in recovery or in other traditions of what we, uh, resist will persist. We yes, actually, we yes. actually give it energy that keeps making it more powerful. Yeah. Very important. So in the, in the spiritual journey, we, uh, we have two important themes. And when I was sitting with people in, in spiritual direction, you know, I would be aware of where they were in these streams. One is the stream of awareness of how much awareness is there of the false self pattern or, you know, you could say of your, of your four step character defects. Right. Uh, and, if somebody gets overly focused on that and overly self-critical, uh, then they're sliding away from the other stream, which is just as you said, the ba baptism blessing that you are made in the image and likeness of God, that you are a beloved child of God. And so you don't want to get stuck in just the, uh, the non-awakeness of blissing out on your spiritual side so that you don't see the patterns uh, of your false self, nor do you want to get stuck in the false self-critical side. So yeah. I think as we move on our spiritual journey, we all move between the different flows of energy there. Uh, and it's just important to know how uh, necessary it is to have the awareness and to be able to have the trust and experience of being loved at the same time. Yeah, that's that's huge. 
um, one of the nuances of that, I think that I slowly absorbed over time was the idea that, uh, at any point I can go back to sleep or relapse. I've, over the years I've developed with folks, this idea that, uh, relapse is not just going back to my behavior or drug of choice. Relapse is much m- bigger than that. And it really is going back to sleep again on ourselves, right? And I may not return to the old addiction, whether it was a process or behavioral addiction or a substance use disorder, but I'm already in relapse behavior in that I'm back in the ego and not in the essence. And some pattern is starting to pick up underneath. And sooner or later, it's going to cause some suffering that's unnecessary. So the whole idea that uh, as soon as I discover the character defect and then my sponsor shows me the, the corresponding virtue, that if I'm not careful, the ego goes, I, I shall become virtuous now, right? Yeah, and then the false self will identify and reify your virtuousness and you're stuck yeah. there. Yeah, and then a, a month or two or three later, so you, you come back to the sponsor and like, Hey, that didn't work. He's well, how's that working the way you do? You're like, well, it's not working. He said, okay, let's, tr-. It, it, I see it in some way, almost, I may not draw a straight line to this, but it may be a dotted line to this. You see it in the gospel sometime when Jesus would teach followers and then send them out and then he'd come back and they would pour it. Well, this was really great, but that didn't go so well. Is that, it's almost like he said, okay, let's debrief and do it again because you're probably doing some of this still from the ego. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, what, you know, the ego construct is so powerful that uh, we, can, we can use our, our ego energy to help deconstruct the ego which is one of the beautiful things and to live more out of the freedom and joy of our essence. But, uh, we can also use the ego to attach to any place we think we are on the spiritual path. And in, in that attachment, it stays, we stay stuck. So it, it gets back in a way always to being able to live in the immediacy of the present moment of wherever we are and, and to allow ourselves to fully experience that. And, uh, you know, as a head type for much of my life, I wanted to think about it and, uh, analyze it and try to figure it out as opposed to just being the experience of it. And that, that is something that is ongoing opportunity for me each day. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not six, but I am seven, and I'm in that head triad, in that head center. I just attack it a little bit differently, obviously, and we could talk a little bit. That. We do that on the show a lot. But but the truth is, when I began to do the deeper recovery work, even before I knew the Enneagram, when I go back and look at my step journals and read those things or talk to somebody from those old days, it shows up, it pops, how much I was avoiding uh, the head and the gut part of life and, and was unaware of that and was insisting on by default unconsciously processing everything through the mental structure. And as you said earlier, it works until it doesn't, right? And pretty soon you understand the person you're bumping into all the time is yourself. And one of the big, I think, gifts of 12-step work coming through the fourth and into the fifth step and putting things on paper 
and then working them across the page. And somebody goes, well, what was your part? <laughs> what, what happened there? Do you, who, who are you mad at? Who are you afraid of? What are you ashamed about? And, well, you know, maybe I didn't have any part in the original thing, but what's the pattern? It came up, and what? And one of the things I began to discover was there was this uh, kind of insistence all through unconsciously in my life that if I couldn't develop a mental competency or super competency, then I was afraid. The security or survival was threatened, but I had no way of connecting the inner motivations and the fears and all that to it. And as a seven, I just kept running as fast as I could and consuming as much as I could. Uh, to try to keep that anxiety underneath me. Does, does that make sense? It makes great sense. And, and you know, what has been so helpful in uh, exploring that in myself and with others is to realize that if you can really be in touch with that underlying anxiety or fear, if you can allow yourself to experience it, it will evaporate. Which which was one of the most counterintuitive things I had ever heard and certainly had never felt and experienced, uh, which is a perfect lead into one of the things I, I was hoping that we could talk about. Um, and that is kind of what you have termed. I, I'm not sure where you got it from or how you developed it or if you even have a classic name for it or anything like that, but I I encountered it in different pieces in step work. And then it kind of got, I think, nuanced and deepened and ro more robust with Enneagram work combined. But that is this idea of um, this process for a wise adult decision-making uh, is one of the ways I think you kind of called it, right? And it it had five basic elements to it. And when I look back in the 12-step, I can see, okay, yeah, that's kind of there and there. And I look at Enneagram, yeah, that's kind of there and there. But the most counterintuitive pieces for me were the pieces that talked about what you just said was this idea, if, if, I, if I can finally admit I'm afraid, but then quit resisting it, <laughs> it's interesting how that begins to metabolize and not have its way with me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that you hear so often in, in the re recovery rooms is let go and let God. Yeah. And for us as a six and seven, we can think that's just this mental process of, oh, I'm going to let go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They said to do it in my head. I did it, but it's not happening. In my now. head. Yeah. And nothing's happened. Nothing yeah. happened. So, nothing. I, I'm going to frame this, and I want you to help me with this. Let's see if this will work, okay? I'm okay. going to kind of frame the the kind of the five dynamics or pieces or facets of, of what you kind of collected together uh, as this wise adult decision-making process. And the whole idea around it, which fits Enneagram and fits 12-step and, and other spiritual traditions, is that we all over time from somewhere in the womb and then shortly thereafter – we began to form these patterns and they are all old by the time we're adults. They're old. We've practiced them a long time unconsciously. They're, they're typically fear-based, right? And, um, and, and so they're in place what I think certain psychological traditions or even what would call as coping mechan childhood coping mechanisms that were brought into adulthood 
that type of thing. But the interesting thing I think you point out and others do too, I think you could see this in the Hebrew Proverbs, is the idea that these can develop both from the negative things, negative nurture that we either receive or perceive, right, wounding. It's either a real wounding or we perceive it as a wounding, and we're meaning makers, so we start making meaning before we even have a really good meaning maker. But you also point out, and others do too, that this all these patterns can also be brought about by too much nurture or over-nurture or over-attention uh, to our goodness or achievements or our cuteness or whatever that might be that can also take us into one of these patterns. This, am I describing that accurately? Yeah, I think a psychological term would be your object relations patterns. And... Uh, so we all develop those of our ways is we're going back to being very young when, you know, we can understand that our type began to show itself uh, of how to navigate the world where we felt safe and secure and loved and protected. And, and later on in just like by the time you're one and a half or two, some sense of agency or control in your world. Yeah. And, and, and so again, the, and again, what you just described for people that are new to this is really the three centers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so one of the things that the Enneagram provides in is an adjunct to our 12 step fourth and fifth step work is a deeper insight into what those patterns were. Yeah. And I, I first got that from my spiritual director, you know, 10 years into the program. Yeah. And and that really, really was profoundly helpful.